Welcome in. This is the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast along with Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. Glad, as always, to have you with us. Chris, what's going on? Oh, man, just trying to get this book out. Yeah, This is your first year as an assistant editor with us. Uh, and uh, radio's loss is Prince Gain, uh, <laughs> I'd say. Uh, you've done a great job, and uh, you helped me out with some things. And, and also... Uh, Man, you've become a wordsmith par excellence. Uh, I really liked your uh, my favorite venues on uh, the Dean Dome, uh, which Ke- Kevin, uh, for those of you who don't know, has been uh, the radio voice of Belmont. I guess you're going into your 18th year. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so and year 18. Uh, he has been everywhere, all over the country, and uh, he's writing about some of the places he's been, both big and small. And uh, I can't. I've I've loved the the first couple of choices are unassailable. He he wrote about uh, uh, Fog Allen Fieldhouse, and now he's writing about the Dean Dome. And I think he said he lost count at 117 gyms he's been in. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's been so much fun over the years to go all those places, and then now to kind of go back and and think about those experiences and uh, and make sure you have all the details right when you remember uh, you know going going back and. Uh, you know the, the the story as you you can read it at blueribbon.substack.com uh, that this week's uh, edition has uh, the my favorite venues piece on um North Carolina's Dean Smith Center I almost didn't make it there that day it was the thing about it I had done a football game uh, at Eastern Illinois on the Saturday and the game was on a Sunday afternoon and so you know I, I came back to Nashville and uh, I thought about flying from Indianapolis you know on into uh, to Raleigh but then it just worked out better to come back home so I came back to Nashville and then I got up early Sunday morning and I was just going to fly over there fly to Charlotte and, you know connecting flight over the Raleigh is going to be a piece of cake and get there really early you know I had plenty of time to rest and go to shoot around and hang out with the team some and, and but then you know between I think a, a fog delay and mechanical issues I think there was a flat tire on the plane or something that, that kept us from getting out of out of Nashville on time and by the time I got there it was it was literally something out of a movie when I got to Charlotte I got off the airplane and and the gate for the trip from Charlotte to Raleigh for the flight from Charlotte to Raleigh was on the other end of the airport so I, I I'm I'm trucking through this airport or you know through the terminal and I finally get to the gate, and the plane is literally backing away. And it was it was like something you would see on on TV or in a movie. And, wow. and uh, I said, "Well, I I think if I'm going to make it, I'm not going to hang around and wait for the next one. I'm going to rent a car right here and and go ahead and drive because it's. I, I want to say it was like close, like maybe two and a half hours to to drive from from the airport in Charlotte to where we were staying in Chapel Hill, and it was a beautiful day as it turned out, and so. Uh, it was just fun. I I hooked up my iPod and uh, listened to some tunes and drove across the uh, the North Carolina countryside there, but got there and, and, and just in time to get on the bus and, and go over there with the team. But yeah, you can read all about it. Uh, it, it really was. It was one of my favorite places I've done a game, and you know it it made the trip more fun that that Belmont actually won that game at, at North Carolina. But all that aside, the people are super classy. The building's really nice and neat, and it's, it's just a cool place. And Chris, what else we have uh, coming up this week on the uh, the newsletter? We're actually going to release our top 25. All right. And, um, and since this is an SEC-related podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which we do every other week, uh, I, I will say that there are three SEC schools. Uh, you could probably guess the first two pretty easily, Kentucky and Tennessee. The third one might surprise you. A lot of people would say LSU. Some might say Florida. We say Alabama. Mm-hmm. Uh had a great conversation with Nate Oates, which we'll get to. Uh, he is just the best in, in terms of uh, 
knowing what riders want. Uh, the, their SID uh, uh, loves him too. Uh, if anything, he he might talk too much, <laughs> get himself in trouble. But he's so candid and just a refreshing dude. He he's going to really get it done at Alabama. And, uh, they're our third SEC team in our top 25. So we will re- release the top 25 in the newsletter. Uh, and uh, that's always a big occasion when, when we release that top 25. I, I don't know. You'd think we'd been around a while or right. something. Uh, 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 this is our 40th year. But uh, people get fired up when they see our top 25. And uh, it's really cool to see because uh, I think like you, well, I grew up a big Street and Smiths fan, and mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't wait for it to get to the newsstand, and and then to be a part of, and and now actually being the publisher and and editor of Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook, uh, it's it's really a a treat for me. Uh, I never thought that I would be a part of anything that that was as anticipated as I used to anticipate Street and Smiths, and. Uh, we didn't know for a while there if we were going to publish, but uh, I think the NCAA is going to give us some good news and, and and about how they're going to handle things. And I believe that uh, we're going to have a season, and uh, Blue Ribbon is going to be around for its 40th year. It's hard to believe. There you go. Uh, real quick on Alabama, saw them play in person last year. I thought they were one of the most entertaining and fun teams to watch just with the style that Nate Oates likes to play that I saw the entire season. But they're a little bit of wreckers or checkers, weren't they? Like they, it would either go really well or, or, or not so well. But in, you know, in reading some of the things that, uh, that Nate Oates has had to say going into this season, I think he feels like their depth is going to be quite a bit better and really give them a better chance to be successful playing that style. I'm sure that that's something you found out in, in your conversation with him. Yeah. I actually, I, you know, I, I study, uh, I do my homework before every interview, and I actually put together uh, a, a sheet where I put every player, their stats, and then I put every newcomer and, and, you know, their stats from where they were so I can ask good questions. And and I looked at the, the people that he brought in, and I said, Coach, I know exactly what you're trying to do. And he said, what's that? And I said, you're trying to get big tall, long, uh, athletic SEC wings. And he said, you're absolutely right. You know, he would play five guards. He'd play five, six, six guys if he mm-hmm. could. But uh, they're, they're freshman class and is full of guys. Uh, Keon Ambrose Hilton, he's 6'8". Uh, Al- Alex Chiku, uh, a kid that's 6'11", uh, can make threes. Uh, Josh Primo, 6'6". Six, six, uh, Juwan Gary, 6'5", Darius Miles, 6'6". Six, six. So they've got all these rangy wing players. And what that does is, is twofold. Uh, one, they just play relentless man, man-to-man defense. And they try to get into passing lanes and get steals and get down. And then the other thing is that most of these kids can shoot threes, too. Mm-hmm. And their their goal is, is they want to get uh, twos at the rim, threes or free throws that's what they shoot sure if you shoot if you take a shot a step inside the three uh nade's not gonna be very happy with you yeah you better hope it goes in right <laughs> he's amazing in in the fact that uh he he's a big numbers guy he loves ken palm and analytics uh 
you know, he loves film clips. Uh, he, he loves synergy. He told me a great story about how they recruited a graduate transfer, uh, a kid from the Ivy League that I think is going to really fit in, a kid named Jordan Bruner from Yale. And he told me how he recruited him. He, he cut up all the tapes and, you know, they got every assist that he made last year at Yale and every assist that fits into how Alabama's going to play. And they sent him clips of practice and NBA players that, that play like him. And, uh, he said something to me like, uh, uh, he, he said, finally, one day I told him, I've come up with everything I can think of. I don't know what else you're looking for. And, uh, turned out he was already convinced. And, and this kid was, uh, academic all Ivy and yeah, you know, he averaged, uh, double figures. He was almost a double double guy, mm-hmm. almost four assists, which is perfect for, for Alabama's offense. They like bigs that can handle and pass and shoot it. He also shot a respectable 33% from three. So he's going to be a huge addition. One of the more significant grad transfers in the country. Well, Chris, this week we uh, may get some news on what will be decided as far as the start of the season. They're talking somewhere around November 21st, and you were one of the first ones I, I saw the other day on Twitter that, that had that particular date. The NCAA uh, Division One Council is supposed to meet Wednesday of this week and have guidelines for both men's and women's basketball. They'll have the minimum and maximum numbers of games. But, you know, th- there are a lot of things to be decided here in terms of the number of games, how it's going to work, you know, what, what individual conferences will do as far as even playing a conference-only schedule. You get the feeling for some leagues or, or having, you know, a few non-conference games to go with it. So still a, a lot that, that goes into trying to figure out what this season's going to look like. But it looks like it's going to start if everything goes according to plan somewhere around Thanksgiving. I've talked to a lot of people that were either in, in, in conferences or the NABC and and people that I, whose opinions I really trusted. And one source called me on Friday and said, if you wanted to tweet that, uh, the NCAA is going to start November 21st. I think that would be safe to do. So I did that. Uh, of course, we're taping this before the announcement, but what I expect to happen, and I think it'll be relevant even when our show comes out, is that uh, it's going to start November 21st through November 25th at some point. My source told me the, the day was November 21st, and they would have a maximum of 28 games allowed and a minimum of 13 in order to, to be uh, eligible for the NCAA tournament. So that'll take care of leagues like the Ivy that have already said, we are not playing until January 1st. Right. Uh, the, the Pac-12 has said that too, but I wouldn't be surprised if they went back on that a little bit. And, and so I think what we're going to see is, is as close to a normal season as, as possible. The good news about the whole situation is that uh, I, I teach at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga, and they are leaving at Thanksgiving and not coming back till mid-January. <laughs> and so I think most schools will follow that. Uh, and that means that for a good, oh, well, you know, six, seven weeks, the players will be in isolation on campus. So they'll be in a protective bubble, so to speak. And I think that you'll see some pod-type games There'll be, you know, round robin in format so everybody can get uh, a couple of games in. Uh, I've heard rumors from good authority that, that 
they're trying to work out a deal with Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, and Virginia, which just may be the top four teams in everybody's preseason poll. Uh, and so you'll have that sort of a format. I don't think anybody wants to dump on the so-called mid-majors. So I, I think that mid-major schools will have an opportunity to play with uh, upper majors. Now, the, the thing that I don't know that can be fixed is uh, game guarantees, which so many non uh, mid-majors uh, rely on those games for not only to support their own program, but to support other programs within their athletic departments. So I don't know what's going to happen there, but uh, I am, I am confident that we're, we're going to have a, as much of a normal type season, at least in terms of games played as possible. And I really, I really dreaded making the decision on whether or not to, to cancel Blue Ribbon this year. I didn't want to. And I just, I don't know. I, I kept talking to one source in particular who, who's the, uh, a, 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 uh, an associate commissioner at a mid-major conference. And he's a guy that really loves ball and, and really was in tune to what the NCAA was saying. And I just trusted him. I really did. And, and we've been friends for a long time. And he finally said, dude, they're going to play. They're going to play. They have to play. And then I think you'll recall Joe Lenardi told us on our first podcast uh, yeah. uh, of, of this new uh, venture that that the NCAA tournament has to be played. So I just went on all that and and, and a little bit of faith, too. And <laughs> and then I, I think we're going to see as much of a season as, as is humanly possible. Yeah, a couple of the coaches I've talked to, uh, I talked to one coach in a mid-major conference who said he felt like that what they were going to do is, is expand it and play more conference games than normal to, to, you know, instead of playing, say, an 18-game conference schedule, maybe it's a 20- or 22-game conference schedule, and then try to fit in maybe maybe five or six non-conference games if possible. It might look different for everybody, but, you know, if you're in one of those deals where you're in one of those multi-team events, you know, go ahead and, and, and be part of that. Or, you know, if you have something sort of local where you can play teams that are close by where you don't have to do a long trip that, you know, you can get that done. But you know, as far as, you know, traveling cross-country to play a game against a high major where you might have made a lot of money, about the only thing they might offer is is your travel, you know, help you out on your travel expense, which at that point it's not really worth uh, worth doing for the you – know, Unless you you know you get that payout if you're the uh, the smaller conference team, so um, yeah, I, I'll be interested to see how it all comes together. But you get the feeling that, that for a lot of teams, it's probably going to be somewhere in that 25 to 27 game range. And Chris, as far as you know, the, those multi-team events that, that are so popular, especially around the holidays. You know, the, the ones in Orlando and New York City will, will likely stay there. Those are, you know, ESPN events typically. Uh, we could see Maui move to Asheville, which, you know, when I think about Maui, Asheville is the next uh, town that comes to mind. Asheville is a lovely place, but it, it, <laughs> it seems like a, a long way from Maui. I, I thought that was really uh, interesting when I saw that. And then next is the Battle for Atlantis, which could be played uh, in South Dakota. Is, is it Sioux Falls that, that has the, uh, yeah, has mm-hmm. that gym out there? And, uh, it's I, a big, I'm, big arena. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know they they played you know lots of games there over the years, but uh, they're talking about moving that tournament that's usually in the uh, the Bahamas. Uh, move it to, I guess that's in the Bahamas. Move it to uh, to South Dakota, and then uh, Mohegan Sun in Connecticut would be another one. We'll see what they they end up doing with all those. And you know I talked to uh, Steve Forbes last week, the uh, the Wake Forest coach, and uh, 
it was almost like as soon as we, we hung up with him is when they came out with this ACC idea about an, an all-inclusive 346-team NCAA tournament. Uh, th- their coaches are on board there. I get the feeling that th- there's not a groundswell of support among a lot of other people around college basketball. I thought that was a really interesting uh, concept they put out there, though. Yeah, I mean, I think I know why they did it. I, I think they wanted to make sure that no no team uh, was left behind, so to speak. But I think what the NCAA has come up with, and um, D- Dan Gavitt has has really taken a, uh, a a measured approach, a thoughtful approach to what they're doing, and they've been patient. And I think they want to have as normal a season as they can, and as normal an NCAA tournament as they can. I've actually talked to coaches who have feared that the power conferences might want to use this opportunity to kind of pull away mm-hmm. and, and do their own thing. But I don't know. There are advocates for that. And, but I, I don't know. I, I don't like that at all. I, I think that the mid mid majors sort of make college basketball and they make the NCAA tournament what it is. There's, there's those first couple of weeks. And then, you know, eventually, well, not always uh, George Mason, VCU or, notable exceptions in recent years, but mostly it settles into that power conference final four situation. So you sort of get the best of both worlds. And for, for mid majors, just getting to the dance is their national championship. I'm with you. I think, you know, a whole lot of the charm of the tournament, especially in those first couple rounds is, uh, is seeing what some of those smaller teams might be able to get done. Uh, As far as the SEC, uh, a guy who, made himself a Hall of Fame career during his time at the University of Florida, is now a coaching free agent, and that is Billy Donovan. Uh, his time with the Oklahoma City Thunder has come to an end. Chris, I wonder where uh, where Billy the Kid lands next. Uh, is it another NBA gig, or might we see him back in college basketball, which, he, you know, what, whatever the best available open job would be, uh, he, he would probably have his, his pick of pretty much anything he wants. Yeah, he's one of those rare coaches that have been able to move up to the NBA and have some success, and left on his own terms. And I, I talked to John Pelfrey today. In fact, uh, John was his assistant uh, on, on a couple of different stints at Florida. And he thinks Billy will stay in the NBA. And I got to know Billy very well when he was at Florida. And he used to tell me that the NBA was all ball all the time. And, you know, he didn't have to go glad hand or play in, alumni golf tournaments or recruit or anything like that. And and it was just all basketball. And that's what he wanted. The guy's a basketball junkie. And and so I suspect, as does Coach Pelfrey, who's now at Tennessee Tech, by the way, as the head coach, but um, he thinks that, that Billy will stay. There's four NBA gigs as we're taping this. And, you know, I think he could have his pick. You think he ends up back in college though at any point, or do you think it stays there or, or finished? Unfortunately, I, you know, I, I had hopes, but uh, John Pelfrey kind of dashed those for me today. Mm-hmm. I think Billy likes the NBA. I, you know, obviously the money is good, and you know, to him, that's that's the highest level. Uh, to me, and I don't know if it were me, and if I were a Hall of Fame coach, I, I just like. The college game, if, if, if I were in his shoes, if I were a Hall of Fame coach, sure. I'd stay in college. But, you know, everybody has their own aspirations, their own goals, uh, their own things that drive and motivate them. And for Billy, it was to get in and be with the best and see if, if he measured up as a coach to, 
to be able to handle the best. Not everybody can do it. You know, uh, Coach Patino uh, uh, couldn't make it with the Boston Celtics, although, as, as John Pelfrey told me today, had that uh, that that ping pong ball gone differently and yep. and uh, they got Tim Duncan, you know, <laughs> uh, he, he might still be in the league. But, sure. uh, but there, I mean, a lot of coaches, Lon Kruger is one, Mike Montgomery is one. Uh, it just doesn't work for everybody. And by the same token, uh, guys who come from the pros as assistants and uh, and try to coach at the college level, it's, there's a learning curve there both ways. It's funny to, you know, I saw John Pelfrey a couple times last year, you know, with, with Tennessee Tech. And, you know, of course, he spent some time as a head coach in the SEC. He's, he's been an assistant. He's been, he's, he's done a little bit of everything in terms of coaching. But, you know, you, you think back to those days when he played for Kentucky and that, you know, the group that started out when they only had about eight guys the first year that Patino was there. And then by the end, they, they played Duke within, you know, one play of, of going to the final four and in, in one of the great games of all time. And, you know, I, I see him, and every time I see him, I think of that ball going over his fingertips uh, into, into yeah. Christian Leitner's hands, and, and I'm sure he's thought about that a lot, too, over the years. But, man, I can remember when he was playing high school ball in, in Paintsville, Kentucky. I mean, that was that was many moons ago. Well, that was, uh, you know, back in the 80s before he was at, at UK. But, uh, yeah, John Pelfrey's had a – gosh, he's had a great career in basketball, hasn't he? And a, a lot of different stops and, and really a lot of success along the way for him. Yeah, he he's he was at South Alabama as a head coach. Of course, he was with Billy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess he he left after their first national championship in '06. Went to South Alabama. Took him a little while to get going there, but he finally did, and that enabled him to get to Arkansas. And we were talking a little bit about it today. I, I don't think that he felt like he ever he had the time to get his roster at Arkansas quite configured the way he wanted to. And right. then he went back with Billy for a while. And when Billy went to the NBA, he hooked up uh, in Alabama. And uh, from there, now he's at Tennessee Tech, and he's happy to be a head coach again. I think he's going to have a good team at Tennessee Tech. He's he's recruited a bunch of, a bunch of players that, you know, I think – were at least on some lists of power conference schools and, and could have played there. And so he's, he knows how to, how to get it done. And obviously he's been at the highest level as a player and on through his coaching career. Well, Chris, as we uh, kind of move toward wrapping things up here, what else uh, stands out to you about uh, things in the SEC uh, a few weeks out from, you know, getting things going with the season, hopefully in November? Well, I, I look forward to, uh, to talking to a, a couple of more coaches that I haven't been able to, to catch up with uh frank martin has, has had a crazy summer he had COVID 19 he was supposed to get a knee replacement uh perry clark his uh, longtime assistant uh re- retired uh i think he was put on an N- nabc committee uh, uh to explore the issues of uh, race and and uh, uh social injustice so he's been a busy guy and in addition to the fact that he didn't lose very many people off an 18-11 team, and A.J. Lawson came back, which was another good lick for Frank. And and so uh, I, I looked for South Carolina. to, to They were 18-11, as I said, last year. So that's a team I look forward to seeing. I haven't talked to Tom Crean at Georgia yet. That's always an interesting conversation mm-hmm. for me. Uh, he's such a student of the game. I enjoy talking to him. and. I'm, I'm eager to see what a couple of transfers can do at Tennessee. Uh, I think that, uh, without a doubt, 
the, the grad transfer they signed, EJ Anasicki is going to play. He averaged almost 12 boards a game at Sacred Heart. And if there's one skill that, that transcends, uh, levels, it's rebounding. Sure. And I, I think he'll really help them. And then I think Victor Bailey Jr., the transfer from Oregon, he was a sit-out transfer and, uh, some of their, some of Rick's assistants have told me that, that he's a bad dude. You know, just an aggressive score. They've taught him how to play the point. You know, he was a 40% three shooter and a 90% free throw shooter at Oregon. And for some reason, he didn't crack their rotation there uh, late in the year. Then he decided to leave. But uh, boy, uh, Tennessee is just loaded with, with long wings and they're going to ramp up the D and, and get after you and, and try to run and, uh, they're going to shoot threes. It, it's going to be an interesting team. I, I think in some ways this, this could be one of the best teams Rick Barnes has ever coached. Always a lot of fun to do the, the podcast together. Of course, you and I, every other week we do a, a national podcast and then we have a, a rotating group here to do the, uh, the SEC basketball podcast. But, uh, be sure you check out the Blue Ribbon Report. Go to blueribbon.substack.com. You can also uh, listen to all of our podcasts there. And Chris, give the info for folks who want to order the, uh, the Blue Ribbon yearbook. Yeah. Uh, sales are starting to pick up. People realize there's going to be a season. It's blueribbonyearbook.com. You can order the book there. And also, if you want to sign up for our newsletter, uh, just scroll down to about the middle of the page. Uh, it's free. Uh, the podcast that we do is free. It gets delivered to your inbox, and there is a subscription. We've had some really good stuff, and I, and I look forward to uh, doing more of it. Sounds great. Chris, fun as always, man. Thanks, buddy. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. This is the Blue Ribbon SEC Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.